if you replace one gear, the other bad gears will wear out the the one good gear, and the transmission will never be fixed. I'm trying to say we need to replace the transmission. Welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Clare. Hello there. Once again, my Liberty Loan Sharks. You are back here at the Lions of Liberty podcast, your home for great conversations about the ideas of liberty. This is episode number 224, and you know what that means. If you've been playing along at home, you can find today's show notes where we have links to everything we discuss over at lionsofliberty.com slash 224. The show is sponsored today by our good friends at Health Excellence Select, who have put together the ultimate free market solution for your healthcare needs. Find out more at lionsofliberty.com slash health. My guest today is an independent candidate for the U.S. Senate representing Ohio. It is his second run this year after running in 2012 and getting about 5% of the vote as an independent candidate. A very impressive feat for someone outside of the two-party system. He is Mr. Scott Rupert. Scott are you ready to roar? <laughs> yes, sir. I am ready to roar. <laughs> All right, Scott. And, uh, you know, like I said, you're an independent candidate. And while this is a, a libertarian program, it's kind of a small L libertarian program. It's philosophically libertarian, but I like to talk to people of all ilks of any label. And you have the independent label. So we'll get into more about why you're running at all and why you're running as independent in a bit. But first, I want to kind of learn a little bit more about yourself. So why don't you just tell people a little bit about yourself? You know, where did you grow up? What did you do for a career? And when did you first start thinking about politics and getting politically active? I'll answer the last question last. You're already a rebel against the system here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just an ordinary average American truck driver. I grew up in Sheffield Lake, Ohio, which is up on the coast of Lake Erie between Cleveland and Toledo. Between Cleveland and Sandusky would narrow it down a little bit more. To be honest... I'm not all that interested in politics. I'm very interested in freedom, and I don't see a way to maintain my freedom without getting involved in politics. So that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. It's the real problem in Washington is politics. The issues will work themselves out if we can get the politics set aside and get Congress to behave the way the Constitution requires it to behave. It's not even a suggestion. It's the Constitution says this is the things they're supposed to do, and that's all they're supposed to do. And I want to get them back to that. Was there a moment kind of uh, in your life where you kind of snapped to attention when you realized politics can't just be this thing that goes on in the background of my life here? It's something I actually have to at least pay attention to, which I'm sure is the first step before you actually take that step to, that you have, which is actually get involved and run a campaign. Yeah, I guess really I've sort of paid attention to it. And you know how it's kind of one of those things that goes on in the background. In most of our lives, it's that thing that goes on in the background that uh, and we often think, well, if I were in charge, this is the way I would do things. And that sort of thought process went on for many years. But when I finally decided that I was going to do something was in 2008, after uh, listening to both of the parties basically telling us what was wrong with the other and not giving us any reasons to vote for them, but telling us why we should be voting against 
the other party and listening to the things that were going on, mostly in talk radio, the division that was being created among the people through the parties that quite honestly doesn't really exist in most of our lives, really. The politicians set us all against each other and keep us pretty well divided down the middle so they only have to fight with half of us at a time. And when we stop and read the Constitution, we see that neither side is actually behaving the way that they should. And if we just made them behave according to the Constitution, we really don't have anything to fear from either side because there really isn't all that much that they can do. That seems to be sort of a central theme of your campaign and just the way you speak from what I've seen in a few of your videos. It's not just that you're running on some specific issue. It's more that you see a problem with the entire system, both the rhetoric of the system and the way that the two parties have, the main two parties, the Democrats and Republicans, have sort of grasped a hold of this system for themselves. And, and all of the political dialogue we see is sort of within that system for the most part. Now there are some cracks starting to develop in the system, and you are uh, one of those cracks. You're one of the guys starting to kind of put a little chink in the concrete here. So wh- why did you decide to actually run as an independent? Not even try to align yourself with the third party at all. I mean, that's that's got to be an incredible challenge, not only just to get noticed, but to even get ballot access or anything like that. Right. Yeah, Yeah. it is. And it's because it's what needs to be done. It's my objective. I'm not running so much because I want to be a senator, but because I want to address the problem that party politics has created. George Washington said it in his farewell address that we need to avoid a spirit of faction. And he didn't say that to the parties. He didn't stand before Congress and make a speech. It was printed in a newspaper. That was for the people. It wasn't for the politicians. And the only way that that can happen is if we make ourselves a part of the process. Government of, by, and for the people requires the participation of the people. And that doesn't just mean voting for the Republican or the Democrat. It means making ourselves available as a part of the process. And You're right. My campaign isn't so much about the issues as it is about the process. I'm not trying to create a party called independent. I'm trying to make the parties obsolete because once we take that initial away and the Libertarian Party has this problem to a degree, too, not with their message. But as soon as the L goes up next to a candidate's name, they begin to associate them with some other candidate with the L next to his name. It's kind of the problem of political labels at all. I mean, yes, I sort of do call myself a libertarian when pressed because I think that philosophy and what people usually talk about when they're discussing libertarianism most closely represents what I believe. Right. At the same time, I in some ways shy away from the label just because I shy away from labels because they come up right. come with so much baggage. You know, some people yeah. hear the word libertarian and they think evil crony capitalist with smoking a cigar in the back room, laughing at all the poor people and just ha- having a good old time. And and so I, I hate the fact that so many people come into things, whether it's libertarian or progressive, Republican, Democrat, whatever it is, having that label attached to you just adds so much baggage. Now, you might run a campaign as an independent and be able to talk about a lot of similar issues that maybe libertarians or even Republicans or even Democrats will talk yeah. about, but maybe even on a one-on-one level, you might have a, a better chance of actually getting through to people just because they don't have that pre preconceived notion about what they think you already believe. That's the point exactly. If When the rank-and-file Democrat hears me say I'm an independent, they hear, well, he doesn't like Republicans either. Right, right. (laughs) 
And when the rank and file Republican or libertarian hears that, they say, well, he doesn't like the other guys either. And my problem isn't with, well, it is with the parties. It's not with the rank and file voter, regardless of which party they're supporting. Once we do start having a conversation without those labels, we find that we agree on far more than we disagree on. And if we actually stop and look at the things that we disagree on, they're not, not issues that federal government has the constitutional authority to address. My message is the Constitution, good fences make good neighbors. You'll find that in one of the videos from my website. The Constitution is that fence. The Constitution so limits federal government to basically providing security and infrastructure to the states to facilitate commerce among the states so the people can pursue their own self-interests. And that's all federal government's really intended to do. It's too big to do much of anything else. State and local governments can do all of the other things that we identify with ideologically. And the voters, the people, have more control over what happens. The states become free markets. Communities become free markets because we can vote with our feet. If we don't like the direction that our community or our state is going, we've got 49 others to choose from. And you know how free market capitalism works. Eventually, you wind up with the best product at the best price. And if the states have to compete that way, then that's what we'll wind up with. We'll eventually wind up with a fairly homogenous society that government isn't controlling. What are some of the issues out there that you see that people largely disagree on, but that, that they're looking about in the wrong way? They're looking towards the federal government to rectify for them, to decide for everybody that their view is the right view. How do you think that people can sort of change that mindset on some of those issues and actually get them to look at it in, in a different way in the way that you are trying to get them to look at it by not just looking at a big daddy federal government to fix everything, but actually to think about it in a totally different way and think, well, maybe you don't need to impose your ideas upon the entire country. Maybe there's a different way we can go about this. So what are some of those issues, though, those key issues that you think we can actually make progress in that way? Well, let's say, for example, the one that's that's taken stage front and center right now, the LGBT agenda, we'll call it, the Christian agenda, both, and I am a Christian. I disagree with the lifestyle choice that anyone in the LGBT community is making, but Constitutionally, as a senator, I don't have the authority to address it. Federal government doesn't have the authority to address it. I would argue against the Department of Education in that we shouldn't be sending our dollars to the federal government just to beg to get them back by conforming to the standards that they tell us we have to conform to. The states can work all those things out among themselves or even at the community level for that matter. None of these things are issues for federal government. It's, there's nothing in the Constitution that we can cite to say this is why federal government should be addressing this. Do you get much resistance to this idea that maybe certain people that might agree with you, like maybe there are people in your community, I'm sure that you know, that might hold similar Christian values that might be personally opposed to, you know, um, homosexual marriage and that sort of thing. But, you know, you're trying to say, look, we can oppose this personally, but that doesn't mean that we should be pointing at the federal government to to sort mm -hmm. of impose their will upon the whole country over the issue. Right. And, and I would argue that we really need to ask ourselves, what does the state have to do with marriage anyway, be it at state or federal level? Why are we asking the government for permission? 
That's essentially what a marriage license is, is government permission. Sounding an awfully lot like a libertarian there, Scott. Be well, careful. That, well, that's <laughs> that. Oh, I don't need to be careful. No, I know. I'm joking. I understand. And that's kind of my point. My message is very libertarian because for the most part of all of the possible choices, the Libertarian Party is the one who is most about leaving people alone. Well, that's what the Constitution says, is federal government should leave people alone. <laughs> the reason that we have the Bill of Rights was to clarify that federal government should leave people alone. And we've uh, lost sight of that altogether. And I think that the establishment on both sides, I think there are good Republicans and good Democrats. The establishment on both sides have kind of set us all against each other and created this division where we're only concerned about protecting our freedoms and not our neighbor's freedom. The Constitution protects everyone's freedom. And I'm in this fight to protect the Constitution because the Constitution can't protect itself. It's why the founders only qualifications for holding office at the federal level is age and citizenship because they knew that we needed to be a part of it. And if they set some higher standards, those who even at that time who were holding office would have found ways to keep the rest of us from being a part of it. That's a good point. I mean, they didn't even require that you be a property owner to run for office, even at a time when you had to be a property owner to vote in many circumstances. Right. And they didn't even require that you say, get a law degree or something like that, which seems to be what every politician has. It seems like you know, 90% of our congressmen and senators are lawyers. And I don't think that's a coincidence. Right. Well, and that's how we wind up with 2,400 page bills is because they're being written by lawyers. Right. And nothing wrong with lawyers. I mean, I have lawyers in my right. family and God bless them because we need somebody to navigate us through this ridiculous uh -huh. system they've set up. But the political system certainly wasn't set up with the idea of especially trained elites that had to go to Washington. It's supposed to be regular people right. like yourself. Yeah. And I'm I'm doing this to encourage regular people like myself to get involved and make themselves a part of their government. Because if we don't, we are losing our liberty. When I started this back in 2009, I said a little bit at a time, but we're losing them at a much faster clip here lately. And both of the parties have demonstrated through this primary process, the truth of what I said in 2012. The videos on my website are still from 2012, but there's no reason to replace them because they're just as relevant now as they were then. The parties, through the primary process, create the illusion that we have some part in the process when really we don't. They decide who's going to win and just let us think that we're deciding for ourselves. I don't think it's possible to solve that problem by making myself a part of either of the machines. I sometimes use the analogy of a, a transmission. I drive a truck and I do a lot of other things. I'm a welder and a mechanic and electrician. I have a large addition on my house that's entirely my work and it's a pay-as-you-go project I've been working on for 10 years. But if you have a transmission that is broken, you don't replace one gear at a time. Because if you replace one gear, the other bad gears will wear out the, the one good gear and the transmission will never be fixed. I'm trying to say we need to replace the transmission. <laughs> <laughs> Just replace the transmission, all the gears at once. But I don't intend if I win in November to start running for my next election on the day after I'm sworn in. 
I chose the Senate because the role of the Senate, regardless of how we choose our senator, is to represent the state, to protect the state from the federal government. And that's what I intend to do. And I will do everything that I can to encourage others who are there once they see that they really don't need their party's infrastructure to win an election. What they need is is honesty and integrity and to swear to abide by the Constitution and mean it. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's the important part. I'm glad you added that caveat because a lot of politicians up there go and swear by the Constitution. I mean, our president is a constitutional scholar, supposedly. And, uh, you know, I thought that as I said it, that, wait a second, they do all swear. They all do swear to protect. I mean, they literally do. I mean, the president puts his hand on that thing. (laughs) But if we stop and think about it, there isn't any reason why we should expect that people who have spent 20 or 30 or even 40 years acquiring power at the federal level to protect and defend a document that limits it once they achieve it. I believe the founders built term limits into the Constitution when they set the age limits at what they did at a time when life expectancy was mid-50s. They didn't expect politicians to be there for 50 years because they didn't expect them to live long enough to be there for 50 years. But now, thanks to many of the amazing innovations that have come from the free market capitalist society that is the United States, now they are living to 80 or 90 years old and... uh, creating more problems after their 50th birthday than before. Not only that, but I don't think the founders even maybe uh, thought that anyone would want to be a politician for any extended amount of time, because why would you? What's in it for you? The way they envisioned government wasn't something where people could come in for six years, you know, write a bunch of bills that help all their friends and then get out and go work for a lobbying firm for the next 20 years or stay in office and, and repeat the process. That was in no way, shape or form how the concept of government was formed, uh, especially yes. at least in this country. So why wouldn't just an every man go to Congress? Because he's he's not there to get rich. He'll go back to his job. He's got to make money. But now it's kind, kind of become the other thing where people go to Congress, they realize how much money they can make for their friends and how much money they're going to eventually be able to make for themselves when they leave Congress and leave the Senate and go work for those very same friends. And by friends, I really mean cronies, right. associates. Uh, I don't know mm-hmm. how deep these friendships are, but they sure are uh, tight relationships. They're as deep as each other's wallets. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> and we can point right to the Constitution to validate that statement because they actually constituted that they must come together for at least one day in a year in whatever the at the time Washington hadn't oh, been imagine hadn't been a wonderful on. world we'd live in if they only got together once a year. So if they felt it was necessary to constitute that they must come together for at least one day a year, how many days do you think they actually expected them to want to spend together? Yeah, <laughs> not a whole lot, I, I imagine. And now it seems like they're there putzing around up in D.C. Uh, almost all year yeah. long. We can't get rid of them. All right. They're like cockroaches. And nobody likes cockroaches. <laughs> Scott, we're going to talk a little bit more about your campaign and the reaction you've been getting to it in just a minute. But first, I need to take a little bit of time out to tell my listeners about our great sponsors at Health Excellence Select. You know, I'm a freelancer and I purchased my own health insurance and I was hit by some serious sticker shock after the implementation of Obamacare. My premiums and deductibles were skyrocketing. And as someone who keeps myself pretty healthy, I knew that I was getting a raw deal for a product I simply didn't want. This caused me to seek an alternative and I found an amazing alternative in the form of health sharing, a killer concept where healthy individuals 
agree to share their medical costs. That's right. It's a voluntary free market system for paying for your health care that also, thanks to an exemption, covers the Obamacare mandate. Our friends at Health Excellence Select have kicked it up a notch by creating a full service package to handle all of your health care needs. Trust me, I'm not just a proponent of health sharing. I'm also a client. This has been one of the greatest things I've ever done to leave the Obamacare system in favor of what our friends at Health Excellence Select are doing. To learn more, head over to lionsofliberty.com slash health. And don't hesitate to give my man Jeff Cantor a call at 440-283-684. Four, nine. Be sure to mention Lions of Liberty. So, Scott, I'm curious what sort of response you've had to your campaign, uh, you know, from your, your friends and family and from your constituency, the people you've been out there meeting and greeting, shaking hands with, uh, attending political events. How are people reacting to your message? It's very positive. In, in Ohio, we have two candidates on the Republican and Democrat side that neither the rank and file Democrat voter isn't very happy with his choice and the rank and file Republican voter isn't very happy with theirs either. And for that matter, beyond that, most agree that Washington is ineffective and everyone needs to be replaced anyway. When I tell people who I am and what I'm doing and why, it's like, Absolutely, yes. This is what we need to do. Not enough say, how can I help? (laughs) But as soon as I tell them who I am, what I'm doing, and why, they tell me I've got their vote. So all I have to do is make sure that I get my hand in the hand of 5 million people before November and we'll win the election. (laughs) All right. I mean, you certainly have something to build on here because, like you mentioned, you got almost 5% of the vote when you ran in 2012 or, as I mentioned, at the top of the show. And uh, that may sound like a small number, and it is compared to, you know, what maybe whatever the Republican or Democrat got that year. But uh, it's a very large number, actually, for a completely unknown, completely independent candidate with no party structure whatsoever to support him. So what do you attribute the fact that you were able to get a number that high uh, with, you know, basically, like you said, a $6,000 campaign budget, I think you told me you had. So uh, what do you attribute that early success to? And and how do you plan to build on that in this 2016 campaign? Right. We averaged 2.4 cents per vote. The Republican and Democrats between them averaged $22 per vote between (laughs) them and their PACs. And the real shame of the 2012 campaign is that if all of the groups who said, yes, what you're doing is what needs to be done, but don't do it, had actually helped me, I believe we actually could have won in 2012. There were a lot of signs around the state of Ohio, red and white signs that had uh, the Republican candidate's name on them. And those red and white signs were paid for by FreedomWorks. And FreedomWorks could just as easily have uh, been putting my name on their signs. They're not uh, necessarily a Republican organization. I, I believe that they believe in protecting liberty. I believe, like a lot of other groups, they are deceived into thinking that the way to protect liberty is to elect Republicans. Yeah, how'd that work out uh, from about 2000 to 2008? Right. I I think that uh, they've come to their senses on that, and I've been courting them a little bit in uh, 2016. Again, I'm not asking anyone for their endorsement. I'm just saying at least let people know I'm out there. If one group endorses me, that means somebody else doesn't think they can vote for me. Uh, (laughs) But just let people know I'm there. Just help me spread the word. Just say, oh, by the way, you do have another choice. Check out Scott Rupert and then let them make the decision for themselves. In 2012, we got almost no media attention at all. 
in 2016, we are far ahead of that. Actually, I stumbled across my name in an Associated Press piece uh, today. So we're actually, uh, we, we are definitely far ahead in terms of media attention and, and people actually saying my name. <laughs> I was thinking the other day I need to get some bumper stickers that say, who is Scott Rupert? Ooh, I like that. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> the, yeah, build off of the Ayn Rand Every time you speak his name, he becomes more powerful. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But it really is a true point. And that's where that Republicans and Democrats come in with such a built-in advantage, not because all the candidates have a personal name. And of course, the incumbents certainly do. But just the fact they have that R and D next to them in in the minds of the electorate gives them that credibility. But fortunately, there seems to be some, like I I mentioned, some cracks in that that sort of uh, idea are breaking in the wall here. So are Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton as the figureheads of those two parties right now, are they pretty much like your best advertisement? But <laughs> you can imagine I, like look, yeah. pointing at them and saying, this is why you got to look away from these parties. Look at who they've put up. Yeah, I think uh, it's definitely ironic that the Republican Party is, is now looking for a third party candidate. <laughs> the, the establishment Republican Party is. Yeah, looking I mean, for I read a third Mitt Romney candidate. might endorse the Libertarian Party, which is just uh, the, it sounds ridiculous on its surface. I'll tell you what, I was really, really hoping that the Libertarian Party would put Austin Peterson at the top of their ticket. His message and mine are, are identical. I think that he really could have brought Americans a long way back towards the Constitution if we'd had him out there as the voice for the Libertarian Party. Well, I'm curious, I mean, because you're not associated with the Libertarian Party, but but I mean, in this campaign, but your beliefs, many of your beliefs really do line up with those ideas. So, I mean, have you had any sort of contact with the Libertarian Party there in Ohio? Or is there any communication between yourself and them? I mean, is there any tax support among Libertarians? Yeah, I have the support of a good many libertarians and a good many constitutionalists or constitution party members. I I have a lot of support just among people. The constitution really is quite appealing when people actually stop and pay attention to it. And that's, again, why I run as an independent. I was asked in 2010 to run as a constitution party candidate. And I told him no, because my objective is not to create another version of the problem. I'm doing this to solve the problem that party politics has created, and that wouldn't do it, even to have a catchy name like Constitution next to my name. In 2012, at a, uh, I believe it was actually a Gary Johnson event up in Streetsboro, I was up there uh, handing out cards and talking to people, and I had a short conversation with one of the gentlemen whose name escapes me, who was one of the people in the decision-making process for the Ohio Libertarian Party, asked me if I would consider running as a libertarian, and I told him no for the same reason. I'm trying to address the problem that party politics has created. And I've been asked by several people who would say they could get me the Republican nomination if I would run, if I would run as a Republican, and I've told them no. Because for me, this is about addressing a problem, not about becoming a senator. The problem is the division that party politics has created. Yeah, and you might have a better chance running as a Republican in theory, but uh, it would completely oppose everything you've been talking about for the last seven years. And you would have no credibility whatsoever, and you would just be another one of them. Exactly. My objective is to open the door 
for leaders that everyone can follow. I'm not saying that I'm that guy, but until we have a process where someone can step up without putting a label next to their name and say, vote for me because I'm the right guy and win an election. When we come to those crisis moments in our history, in our future, until we have those leaders that everyone is willing to listen to because they know that their objective is the best for the country, not the best for their party, until we have those leaders, we're in trouble because that initial next to their name limits their audience, no matter what the crisis. And I am not saying that I'm that guy everyone will listen to. But I am doing my best to open that door so that leader can come through it. All right, Scott. Well, I really do appreciate you coming on and talking about your campaign. And I certainly agree with you that, you know, partisan politics is one of the biggest things often holding us back from having a, a legitimate conversation. And even in, like I said earlier, even those political labels, even if there are some that I might more closely associate myself with than others, they come with so many problems. Yeah. So I think it's an absolutely worthy effort that you're undertaking to, I guess, get the BS out of politics, to just exactly. come at this as, as a regular person that without all this other baggage, uh, you know, attached to you beforehand. So I think it's a, a commendable effort. I wish you the best of luck. And before I let you go, why don't you just give everybody the roundup of how they can find out more about your campaign and how they can get involved. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. The website is scottrupert.com. S-C-O-T-T-R-U-P-E-R-T.com. You can find me on Facebook at Rupert for Senate, on Twitter at Rupert for Ohio. I'm probably a few weeks, which actually might be before this even airs. I may be up and running, but I'm working on uh, putting together a live stream a la Austin Peterson to raise money and help me to campaign while I work. Just uh, I'm not exactly sure how the format's going to work out yet, but to give people a way to ask me questions that I can answer while I'm sort of looking them in the eye and uh, help to spread the message that way. If you think what I'm doing is worthy, I'd appreciate small contribution as we spent 2.4 cents per vote in 2012, and I don't think we need much more than that in 2016, but we do need more than a quarter of a million votes. What we did on $6,000 in 2012, we could do a lot better with 60000 in 2016. Again, I don't think it's money that wins the election. I think it's the message, but things do cost something. So if you're of a mind to help me, I sure would appreciate it. That's ScottRupert.com. ScottRupert.com. You heard it here first, or maybe not first. Maybe you've already heard of Scott Rupert before, hopefully, but hopefully we're also helping people learn more about you and your campaign. Yeah. Scott, I wish you the best of luck and uh, keep in touch. Thanks, Mark. It was a pleasure talking to you. Thanks for the help. Sure thing, Scott. All right, folks, I hope you enjoyed my conversation today with Mr. Scott Rupert, independent candidate for Senate in the state of Ohio, looking to go to Washington and make a little nonpartisan or maybe even anti-partisan change, you might say. And I've always thought the political parties were just, uh, well, stupid. <laughs> I don't have a more refined way to really say that right now because they really dumbed down the entire system, especially with the Republican and Democrat parties where there's really no philosophy behind the party. I mean, at least with the Libertarian Party, there's a theoretical philosophy behind it. There's a theoretical principle that all Libertarian 
politicians are supposed to base their views upon at the very least. But the Republican and Democrat Party, they really don't have that. They have a hodgepodge of positions. But, you know, even in the Libertarian Party, there are people with vast disagreements. So if you hear the word libertarian, you might think of an anarchist. You might think of a minarchist. You might think of someone with various different positions, depending on what you've seen out there. So even that label, even a label that many people have worked very hard to try to attach to a certain principal position, it becomes nearly impossible to keep an actual political party consistent when you're bringing in so many different people and when you're growing. It's just, it's a very difficult thing to do. And I really think ideally we would have no political parties. We would just have individuals who ran for office, who told you what they believed, who told you what they planned to do, and they go up there for two years or six years and they come on home and they go back to their job because there's no financial incentive to stay in D.C. It's a public service. That's what it was always meant to be. But now it has become just a way to enrich the lives of many politicians. They go in there, they make cozy relationships with all sorts of companies, with all sorts of lobbyists, then they get out, and in- instead of going back to 7-Eleven or, or, or wherever they might have worked before, I'm pretty sure no politicians actually worked at 7-Eleven before that. Most of them worked at law firms. Many of them worked at other lobbying firms, but most of them leave office and go to a lobbying firm or get a job at a company that they maybe pass some favorable legislation towards and suddenly they've got a very cozy position on a board where they maybe show up to a meeting once a month and, and talk for 20 minutes and they've got a guaranteed paycheck because they're getting a favor paid back and that is just the wrong way to look at politics and it's not the way people actively look at politics but it is the result of our current system. So I do think that political parties are in many ways a part of the problem. So I'm glad that there is someone out there, Scott Rupert, who's specifically addressing this issue. He's certainly somebody worth looking into, especially if you, of course, are in the state of Ohio. Now, if you enjoy conversations like the one I had with people you might not have heard of before, like Scott Rupert... Well, there are some ways you can help out. First of all, I'd love to invite you to join the conversation with us. If you're on Facebook, come on over to our private Facebook group, the Lions of Liberty Forum. All you have to do is type that in your little search bar. In Facebook, it should pop right up. It is a private group. Just ask to join. I will check you out real quick. Make sure you don't look like a spam bot. Make sure you you might have at least a few mutual friends or follow some Liberty pages so I can tell you're actually there for the right reason, which is because you're interested in the show. You're interested about these ideas, and I'll get you right in there to join this conversation because that's what this is all about. I'm trying to expand the conversation about the ideas of Liberty. Also, please, guys, we're going to be coming out very soon, by the way, with a way you can more directly help our program. But in the meantime, there are several ways you can help us out. And one of them, the major one, the one I emphasize the most, is to tell your friends about this show if you love this show. Tell your family about the show. Send somebody an email. Maybe somebody you think will like the show. Heck, send it to somebody you think might hate the show. This episode was very nonpartisan as far as I can tell, so maybe this would be a good one to send over to your friends who aren't really libertarians per se, or maybe they just consider themselves independent, because to me, I would definitely classify Scott Rupert as an independent. He's literally running as one with no party affiliation whatsoever. Just the kind of guy you can send to someone who's not really thinking along ideology or party lines right now. You can also, of course, help us by leaving us a five-star rating and a great review on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Google Play, on any of the platforms by which you listen to this program. And of course, the main thing I always ask of you guys, until next time, until this Wednesday, when my guest is Larry Sharp, a man who came very, very, very close to becoming the vice presidential nominee for the Libertarian Party in 2016. Of course, he just missed out. He lost to the establishment pick, you might say, the Gary Johnson pick, Mr. Bill Weld. But yes, I will have the great Larry Sharp here on this Wednesday's show. And then next Monday, it's the return of your newest favorite segment on this program, Mr. Johnson's Liberty Hood. Yes, our look at the campaign of Gary Johnson and Governor Bill Weld. 
And of course, before that, you've got another edition of John Odermatt's Felony Friday, his weekly look at the criminal justice system this coming Friday. Until next time, folks, live long and live free.